This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, thank you for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. And today we have a very special episode for you. We have the author of the book, Torahism, R.L. Solberg, with us today as a special guest interview. Yeah, this is going to be great. I read this book, yes. uh, Torahism, Are Christians Required to Keep the Law of Moses, about six, seven months ago. And I loved it, and I was stoked that we could get Rob to come on the show with us today. Let me yes. introduce you. Uh, so uh, R.L. Solberg, Rob Solberg, is an author, speaker, teacher, and theologian based in Nashville, Tennessee, which I'm pretty jealous of right now because we're in Phoenix and it's really hot here. Oh, and yeah. Nashville sounds beautiful. It's terrible. Uh, yeah. He's been married to his wife for 27 years, has two daughters, and he and his wife are stakeholders at their church, which is the Church of the City in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Rob is the author of Torahism, uh, uh, the book, Are Christians Required to Keep the Law of Moses? And he's been pursuing theology, apologetics, philosophy, and formally and informally, self-trained and formally trained. And currently, he is a student uh, studying theological studies at Williamson College in Nashville, Tennessee. Also, Rob is a recovering professional musician. Him and his wife <laughs> do music as ministry now, but he's done a lot of music in the past. He's an awesome guitarist. I've seen his stuff. Rob, we are so stoked that you're here on Christ Culture and Coffee with us today. Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me yeah. on. Well, hey, tell us a little bit about your musical background and, and who you are and kind of where you've come from and what led into writing this book. Sure. Yeah, so the musical background, as you, as you kindly mentioned, um, I used to be a professional musician and my wife, a singer as well. We, we, we ran commercial audio company for a while doing jingles and, and, you know, I've scored some films and things like that. But, um, you know, I've done some touring with, uh, John Schlitt from Petra mm. and John LaFonte from Kansas. Um, I still play with the Nashville praise symphony. Oh, wow. Um, so I still kind of keep an active, I do compo composing and, um, and performing with that group, but it's all now it's just turned into a big ministry thing, which is actually way more fun than trying to earn a living. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. it's way it, much more rewarding. So we play, my wife and I play at the worship team on, at our church and, you know, we're part of what's called the celebrate recovery ministry there, mm -hmm. uh, leading worship. And I do some teaching there. So, um, but yeah, I've just been interested in, uh, all that stuff you mentioned for gosh, 20 years now. Uh, and I started on, on the road, probably like most folks and, you know, pulled in through apologetics and Robbie Zacharias and, um, and, and then I've really of late, uh, been very interested in the historical roots of Christianity, the, mm, the Hebrew right. roots to use a coin, to coin a phrase yeah. of Christianity, just, just kind of nerding out on history. I love that, uh, episode you just did with Dr. Kennedy on the archeology. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, that was awesome. So uh, those sorts of things really get me excited now. That's um, awesome. And yeah. so that's kind of where the book came from too. Is just I was already in that vein mm. when uh, when I ran across some friends that started saying some really weird stuff. Christian mm. friends. Okay. Uh, and that's kind of that was like my first exposure into what I what I ended up labeling Torah Torahism. That is awesome, and it's so interesting how like real life events lead people into deep study on oh, issues yeah, okay. that are making an impact on them, right? And that's and that's always Absolutely. the best type of study because you're interested in it and you have real life application going along with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't just an academic pursuit for me. I was actually trying to find out. These are friends of mine. I can kind of share a little bit of the story, but it's in the book, too. The Just friends of mine had begun, and they were Christian friends, and interestingly, also musicians. The, the, the wife of the couple was a great, fabulous worship singer and had put out some CDs and such. And all of a sudden, I started seeing these posts from them that said— uh, you know, how, how Easter and Christmas are pagan holidays and that sort of thing, right. which I thought, okay, I've seen that a ton with all my, you know, atheist friends and, and that sort of thing. But that was weird. These guys are Christians, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, that's and interesting. So, yeah, it was a pursuit of that that made me fall into, you know, I think that the most popular face of this thing called Toryism is probably the Hebrew Roots Movement. I think that's the most well-known, but it's actually rampant um, in a, under a bunch of different names. Yeah, well, and that's why I love kind of your the phrase tourism and all that that we'll get into oh, yeah but before we do that we have an important question to ask you as yes, we are christ right. culture and coffee do right. you like coffee and if so yeah. what's your type of drink what do you go for uh well you so yeah i love coffee i have three yes. or four nice cups a day. amen that's great 
I do uh, I do black coffee with a sprinkle of cinnamon. That's how I mostly oh. take it. Okay, uh, yeah. So I, that's what I'm used to now. But there was some um, uh, since I've listened to your podcast before, I expected this question. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> and I was I was reflecting. I was talking right. to my wife like, what's the best cup of coffee I had? And I remember one time we were in uh, we were on tour in Norway, hmm. a little town called Eiken, Norway. We were in the kitchen of some friends of ours who ended up being good friends of ours, Osbjorn and Brunhild. And they gave us some coffee that was phenomenal. We were all excited about it. Where can we get it? We want to bring some home. And it turns out, even though we were in Norway, it was a Swedish coffee. And for the life of me, I can't remember the name of it. It's oh, a, some oh, wow. awkward name. I have to I have to try to look it up because we brought some home with us. And then the year after, our friends came to Nashville to hang out with us. And we said, hey, would you mind bringing some of that coffee with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. That's awesome, man. So the next time you are in Norway, yeah. make sure you, you find this coffee. That's a cool story. Yeah. That's interesting. That is cool, man. I should actually, I reach out to him if it wasn't the middle of the night and ask him right now what the, what the name of that coffee was. But. So was the coffee as good in Nashville as it was in Norway? That's a good question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I don't want to go off too much on this, but sure. you know, we, we got, they brought it as, as uh, ground coffee and we're used to the Keurig. So we had to go digging out the old fashioned coffee maker just so <laughs> yeah. we could it was just as awesome. That's cool, man. That's great. Yeah, I love trying coffee from all over the place. It's one of the God's blessings to us is oh, yeah. the coffee bean yeah, and people who know how to roast it. We take yeah. very seriously. That's cool. You know, there's a guy here in Nashville who goes by the name the Java Pastor. His name's Steve Helm, and he, he roasts his own coffee. Oh, Amazing. Really? really good. Dude, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. We got to have him on just to talk about coffee. Sometimes. That's a good idea. <laughs> Look at that. You know, he's involved in a really cool ministry, too, that is uh, a... They train up missionaries to go into the Islamic world. Oh, wow. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Anyway, that's side tangent. But... That's all right, that's man. Cool. Well, I'm glad you're a Christian because you like coffee. That's great. I don't know if that's one of the requirements of the Law of Moses, but it should have been. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I didn't see that one in there. No, I didn't see it either. So it's in the Hebrew. That's what you're missing. Right, right. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, let's get into talking about your book. So Torahism, are Christians required to keep the Law of Moses First of all, let's start off with the term Torahism. Rob, what is this? Where did it come from? And what does it encapsulate? Okay, yeah. So this is, first of all, just the short version. Torahism is a, uh, a term that I coined out of a lack of there being a term for the thing I was talking about, which is a belief that, uh, so here's the two components of what Torahism means. That one, Number one is that, um, these are people that believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Mm. However, they also believe that Christians should be returning to and keeping and following the the law of Moses or the Torah. Okay. So hence the term Torahism. Um, and it was a very, uh, in my research, again, I started just interacting with friends and trying to chase down some of the things that they were saying and understand where they're coming from. And in this process, I, I was just exposed to this whole weird other world. It was like going into a reverse Narnia or something. Where <laughs> all of a sudden, I, I'm like, I don't even know what they're talking about. How could he possibly be? He's he's the Messiah, but he's not divine. He's human only. So it got it was this whole weird thing halfway between Judaism and Christianity. Okay. Uh, so and and it has to be it has to be distinguished from Messianic Christianity or Mess Messianic Judaism, I should say. But because of the fact that um, to people who I call Torahists, and, and, and you might have noticed the first two chapters in this book, number one is what is the Torah, and number two is what is Torahism. Mm -hmm. I had to spend two chapters just getting our terminology square because it's very confusing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you hear, and, and I've been, ever since then, we, we maybe get into this a little bit more, but I've been discussing and interacting with a lot of rabbis and Jewish friends, too, and understanding the full-on Jewish perspective and this whole this word Torah is used so equivocally. Sometimes it's the first five books of the Bible. Sometimes mm -hmm. it means the uh, 613 mitzvot or law uh, the, of the law of Moses, the commandments of Moses. Or sometimes it's referred to even people have called the entire Tanakh, the Old Testament, the Torah. So wow. I had to clear all that up. So Torahism is specifically, though, about people who feel like we should be following those laws of Moses. And at the same time, Jesus was the Messiah. Okay. That's really interesting. Uh, I, I, I like how you say that the terms, and, and you do, the first two chapters are just getting on track with this is what I'm trying to talk about. Uh, and in apologetics, no matter what the topic is, that is a vital first step because so often 
I mean, in Arizona, obviously, we talk with a lot of Mormons, right? Because yeah. there's a lot yeah. of LDS people here. And they sure. use all the same terms as us, but they do not mean the same definition at all. That's by so <laughs> true. And yeah. so whenever you're talking with, especially when it's with, with Judaism or if it's with the people, you know, that adhere to Torahism, as we're calling it, getting your terms clear is such a great apologetic first step so that you're not just talking past each oh, other yeah. and having a worthless conversation. So I did really appreciate that about how you approach that at the beginning of your book. That was also informed by real life, real world, a month mm. of talking past someone and going, why aren't we, why aren't we hearing each other? <laughs> yeah, right. you know? yeah. Then I was like, well, hold on. What, what exactly do you mean by the Torah? And what do you mean by this and that? So that's, yeah, that's a, that was a good reminder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so with that being said, though, after you break up the definition there, like, so how is it then that the Old Testament law still applies and doesn't apply to New Testament Christians today? Wow. Okay. So that's the crux of what a lot of this book is about. Right. Um, and I, and of course I, I set it up. So every chapter is a claim of, of Torahism. And then I respond to that. But in, in general, I guess my response to the old Testament law applying to new Testament Christians, I guess that's the only kind of Christians there are, um, <laughs> is that it doesn't directly apply to us. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have to, there has to be a big asterisk next to that when I say that, because people are like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. you know? um, so what I mean by that is the Old Testament, the, the, the law of Moses, which is the 613 mitzvah or commandments that were given in the first five books of the Bible. They were given at Mount Sinai, mm -hmm. although Jews believe that they've existed forever. And anyway, mm -hmm. um, the New Testament very clearly teaches that it, it, Hebrews 8.13 is a great example that, that the, the Old Covenant is obsolete and it's passing away. Right um, now, that seems offensive, and it is offensive if you're talking to someone who holds to a Torahistic view. But the fact is that all of the Old Testament laws were given to the nation of Israel exclusively, mm -hmm. and they were only given to Israel for a time. So it wasn't forever, as they will claim. Um, there was a there was an ending point to that time okay. uh, to that to the there was a term let's say on that covenant and when Jesus came you know and the, and the popular passage they'll point to is in Matthew five you know I have not come to abolish the law but fulfill it mm -hmm. um, so what does that mean to fulfill the law uh, Jesus ushered in the new covenant that was mm -hmm. promised in Jeremiah thirty one mm -hmm. uh, and and so what we have is not a changing of the Torah or the original law of God, not a throwing away of it like it was obsolete or like it was useless now and, and, and it was never any good, that kind of a thing. But it's more like, okay, it's been fulfilled in that. And this is something I learned from, from my Messianic Jewish friends who see this so much more clearly. It's amazing. But the entire Torah, the law of Moses points to Jesus. Hmm. So when he comes to fulfill it, he's saying, look, I'm the one that you've been, that it's been pointing to this whole time. Mm -hmm. in, in Hebrews, it says the same thing. It says, um, I forget where it is in Hebrews, I apologize, but it says that it, you know, the, 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 the old laws, the, the, the Sabbath and all that were a shadow of the things to come. And Jesus yes. is the real thing. Yeah. Maybe that was, maybe that's not anyway. Yeah, so yeah, that's Hebrews. That's Hebrews. Yep. I'm not a good verse and chapter guy. I'm a good concept guy. Hey, man, verse and chapters weren't in the original writing, so it doesn't matter. The That's what I always say to people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah. awesome. So it is It is a crazy thing. And I, I know there's yeah. been other guys, and I'm, I'm not trying to say you agree with this perspective exactly, but, you know, Andy Stanley's kind of been saying a similar thing, like the Old Testament law doesn't apply to Christians. Now, it doesn't mean that we can murder people and it's no big deal, um, but uh, because there's God's moral law that that was prior to the giving of the Torah to Moses, right? But right. Um, the law of, of Christianity, I think, is the law of love God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're doing those yeah. things, then everything's encapsulated under that. Right. Yeah. And so that so now we come to the asterisk on the statement I earlier made. Mm -hmm. And the, so the qualification I would say to that is, although the the Old Testament, the law of Moses is now it has served its purpose. Uh, Paul calls it the uh, what does he call it? The guardian. Mm -hmm. So we had to live under a guardian until Christ came. And now we don't need a guardian anymore. Mm -hmm. That said, God's nature doesn't change. So mm -hmm. many of the Old Testament laws, especially as you mentioned, the moral laws, 
were repeated in the New Testament. Yes. So it's not like we're out from under them. So from a technical legal standpoint, we would say, hey, the Ten Commandments, we're not under the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. Mm -hmm. But then we would say, well, at least nine of them were repeated in the New Testament. So yes. we're under the concepts, if yeah. not the specific legal you know, agreement. Well, and that um, leads into our next question, which I think this is huge because, again, my experience and what I've seen of people who have fallen into this type of thinking and walked away from Christianity and walked away from Jesus' deity, mm -hmm. this is the thing that gets them sucked in. And it's the idea that we should still be observing the Sabbath day, right? The seventh day of the week. And in your book, you say that this is the major bone of contention that Torahism has with Christianity. And they do have some merit. So we really need to be able to understand why don't we as New Testament Christians observe the seventh day of the week? And why do we, you know, worship God on the first day of the week on Sunday? Right. Yeah, that's great. That was a huge thing for, for me. And when I, when, as I began studying all these different aspects, um, the Sabbath was the one, the claim that they made that as I began looking into it, I just had this suspicion that I might have to concede this point to them mm. that we should be celebrating the Sabbath on Saturday. And as I dug into it, and I, and I kind of break it out in the book, I, I really did a deep scriptural survey, mm -hmm. understanding, looking at every time that the Sabbath is mentioned in scripture. And I found some interesting things. And the, first of all, I would say, as a rule, if, if you want to celebrate Sabbath on a Saturday, go for it. That's, yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Messianic Jews still do that. They still, in, in fact, they celebrate all the feasts still, mm -hmm. but they celebrate them by by recognizing all the parts of the feast that point to Christ. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong with still celebrating the Sabbath on a Saturday. However, there's also nothing wrong with celebrating it on a Sunday, mm -hmm. um, as, as Christians do. And the reason, so, so here's where it comes, here's where the, the rub happens a lot of times in the Hebrew roots movement and the, and the Torah, Torahism world, is that they see that what they're pointing to is this historical Christian or historical corruption that they claim happened, primarily they'll point to the Council of Nicaea in AD 325 with, mm. Con, uh, with Constantine uh, saying, hey, that's when they decided we're not going to, we're not going to observe Easter and we're not going to observe the Sabbath and all these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, so there is some truth to the fact that those things were decided, but there's also there's also the, the, what they're what they're missing is how the New Testament has set these things up. Mm -hmm. So the even in the New Testament, we start to see the believers gathering on the day after Sabbath on a Sunday, and yep. the Lord rose on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if there's anything, right. I mean, the Sabbath is huge. It goes back to the rhythm that God used when he created everything, right? On the seventh day, he rested. And this whole concept, it's the rhythm of the nation of Israel to rest, work six days or rest one day, that sort of thing. So I don't think that God's rhythm of life <laughs> has changed. But what Paul tells us is that don't let anyone judge you about a Sabbath day or a particular feast. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's not about that. It, those sorts of specific requirements aren't needed anymore. Mm -hmm. And so we have mm -hmm. the freedom in Christ now, as long as we're following his God-ordained rhythms, and that's not even a legal thing. I think that should come out of our heart to want to obey and, and love God, and also recognize that he created us for that, I believe it's in our DNA, that rhythm, that need for rest, you know? Uh, so I think that's a, I think that's a very deep issue, but at the same time, I would say, and I don't mean to be flip about it, but, you know, pick the day you want to have for your rest day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I agree with that, too, and we do need to, especially, like, American culture, we don't understand this idea of rest. Like, no, I'm going to work until I'm uh, dead, right? Every day of the week, I'll be a workaholic, and it's not good for our soul. No, it's not, to, yeah. To live like that at all. Um, so so when it comes to uh, Scripture, how, how do you point out to people, look, New Testament doesn't describe or prescribe having the seventh-day Sabbath? We know Paul... He, he says, don't let people judge you about it, right? And that's to, yeah. to Gentiles. Uh, well, it's actually even to some Jews, right? He's even talking to Jews in those passages, which is interesting. Right. So what other, is there another argument that you could make to say, see, like God, if God wanted us to follow this, this these are the types of things we might have found in the New Testament. Yeah, so here's what's interesting to me is that they will say, by they, I mean Torahists, um, they will say, that the 
New Testament nowhere nowhere says explicitly that the Sabbath was canceled, so to speak, or the Sabbath was changed. Mm-hmm. And I think they have a point, and that's where I'm. That's where I, um, you know, you can't argue with that. Christian uh, scripture is silent on what happened, and I point this out in my book that in all of the mentions of the Sabbath uh, related to Jesus uh, in the New Testament, more than half, and most of them are him conflicting with the Jewish leaders mm-hmm. on the reason for the Sabbath. Yeah. And he's trying to remind, I think, and take, I interpret it as he's taking them back to the original reason that there was a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about, you know, picking the the grain <laughs> and these tiny little things. And if you're familiar with the whole uh, rabbinic movement and, and what was going on in Judaism at that time, you've got You've got rules like you can only stick your arm through a window only up to this far, you know, and then that suddenly that's work. And it it just got they called it building fences around the Torah, but it really became constrictive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they use that to abuse. So Jesus, I think, was saying, you know, he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, you know, and 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 so I feel like the, the picture we get as a whole. Now, again, it's not a direct, you know, thou shalt celebrate it whichever day you want kind of edict, which I think which they tourists often want to see. Sure. But I think the, the picture that gets painted as a whole is pretty clear that we have freedom in Christ. Um, but there's not there's not any other specific scriptures that I would point to that are kind of a, um, a an absolute on this issue. Yeah. And right. this is also what's interesting. Um, I think it's important to remember that tourists and, and, and again, I so that's a term I made up. Most of most folks who hold to that belief system, that return to Torah mov- movement, this idea of a Torah observant lifestyle, they wouldn't call themselves Torahists. Mm. And I don't mean that term derogative as a derogative term. It's the same as a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew. It's just a statement of a belief system. Mm-hmm. But here's the cool thing that I was impressed with by f- folks that hold to this return to Torah movement. They know their scripture. Mm-hmm. They, they dig deep in the word and... I feel like at some level, so sometimes at a big level, they're, they want to please God and do what's right and worship him in truth. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some insidiousness that's happening, and, I, and I've got theories that I'm kind of trying to test out as to why they would be so drawn to a sort of a works-based mm-hmm. uh, faith. Mm-hmm. But so I want I, when I, I I'm just I just wanted to take a moment to clarify that I'm not trying to do a us against them or anything like that. I right, feel yeah. like yeah they're they're god-loving people yeah and they're just god you know as i mentioned in the book kind of the when you're a marksman if you're if you're you know if your barrel is off by a fraction of an inch when you're aiming it could be it could miss the target by miles down range yeah right well we have we have historical data of that happening in all types of heresies throughout christianity right you just get a little off and then years later, you're like, where it, are we? It has this? a lot of effects, after yeah. effects with that. So. Yeah, but we, ne- we never, and you know, we always talk about how like apologetics is a, it's not about winning arguments. And to be honest, if the truth oh, yeah. is on our side, which I believe it is, it's really easy to win arguments when you have the truth. Like it's not mm-hmm. that impressive, to be honest, to win an argument when you have the truth. But we're not trying to win arguments. We're trying to win people to Christ, right? And right. that's that's always the goal is we want people to see the truth and understand who Jesus is. So yeah. I do appreciate that that's your demeanor. And even how you write this, it's not it's not from a place of uh, being argumentative or out to win. Like I've seen some people be yeah, like... Yeah, that, that <laughs> happens a lot. It's coming yeah. from a good heart to really reach people who have fallen into something dangerous. Yeah, you know? and, and, uh, and, and so just to kind of like segue back into this too, I wanted to kind of backtrack on something you said earlier about uh, the feast of the Old Testament. So uh, just for our listeners too, uh, could you um, maybe just give an explanation of what those, why tourism observes those feasts of the Old Testament and why they're not mandatory for us to observe today, just to provide some context to what those are all about. Sure. And and this is a, this is a common line of argument and it's a strong one, I have to say, because what they say is Jesus observed the Torah and Mm -hmm. we're told to walk as he walked. So I'm following the Torah. This is the the reasoning they have, which uh, at the surface you'd say that sounds fairly reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we look at this, when we when we look at the New Testament, we o- we don't actually have evidence. The only thing I think is in John ten where we have the idea. Sorry about that. Right. Oh, my, good. Uh, in uh, I think it's John ten twenty two. 
I can't remember, uh, where Jesus is in Jerusalem celebrating some sort of a festival, which is taken to be one of the feasts. Mm -hmm. But there's not a direct mention of it. But we also don't have any reason to believe he wouldn't because the New Testament, I'm sorry, the New Covenant wasn't instantiated until he died and was resurrected. Yeah, right. So literally up until that weekend, Easter weekend as we know it, the Old Testament was it was active. So the feasts are part of that. So for those that aren't familiar, there's seven feasts prescribed in the Torah. Um, all throughout the year, they celebrate different things. I, I break them down in the book. And what's what's amazing is the more you look at them, the more you see Jesus, you know, and, and you see him um, foreshadowed in, in, a, in a typological fashion all the way back. You think about things like the bread and the wine, so the bread and the wine were a very important part of the tabernacle, which became the temple, the very important part of Passover. Uh, and the bread and the wine, you think of the Last Supper, Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal when he broke the bread. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, he brought out the wine and he, in, he gave it a new meaning. He brought, mm. he brought a whole new level to what that meant. So if, if you're a Jew and you've spent your whole life and your parents and your grandparents going all the way back have spent you know, your lives steeped in that sort of... Uh, those that ritual and the rhythms of all those um, all those feasts and celebrations and what they mean to you. You know, they're thinking of Passover. Okay, I'm I'm remembering back in Exodus when when God had, and this is interesting too, you see the parallels all over the place. What happened in the in, in the in the first Passover, right? So the lamb, the innocent, unblemished lamb had to be slaughtered. And then not only did it have to, not only did blood have to be let and and something innocent have to die, then they had to paint the the blood on the doorpost, saying that the they had to display the blood mm-hmm. so that God would pass over them. Yeah. Um, the parallels with Christ's sacrifice and him saying, "This wine is is my blood. It's the new covenant in my blood." He said, mm-hmm. "It's just it becomes this really powerful thing." So, this is another area where I have a lot of um, sympathy for. The Hebrew roots movement, because and I'm right now I'm studying biblical Hebrew through Hebrew University in Jerusalem, mm. and the more I'm learning about the language, the more I'm falling in love with the Hebrew, literally the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful, amazing. Like it, I don't, I don't, I could get on a side tangent and be a nerd, <laughs> but you know I'm thinking like in in English, right? We we say we have the letter A, and A is for apple. And in Hebrew, the letter Aleph, the first letter of the alphabet, it represents God and his primariness and strength and leadership. And it has all these cool cultural mm. and historical um, richness to it. So, yeah. so I have to say I understand the tug of wanting to get into and understand the Hebrew roots of our faith. Mm. But when you get to the point where you're actually crossing the line and you're saying things like you have to observe the feasts, even though the New Testament clearly says you don't mm-hmm. – um, then you start to become legalistic, and then you're taking those degrees of, you know, your path is getting off, and now suddenly you find yourself in a heretical situation where all of a sudden as a Torahist, I'm saying, well, you know what? I don't think Jesus was actually divine. Yeah. You know, he said, I am the door to God, so why would you stop and worship the door? Mm-hmm. Why don't you worship the Father? This is the kind of things I've heard. That is crazy. Um, wow. well, yeah. and, and, and what's interesting to me is, like you said before, <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with observing Sabbath on Saturday. There's nothing wrong with 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 celebrating these feasts. But the line is when you say, no, you have to do this to be saved. You have to do this to have favor with God. That's where we'd go, right. way, way, way. Something is off here. And I always think back to like, because um, <clears throat> I love studying the resurrection. And um, one of the craziest things to me about Jesus' resurrection is that he convinced his family he's God. Like there's right. just no way I could do that. <laughs> myself like point. yeah it's a crazy yeah that he convinced his brother he's god none of us could do that with our siblings it's crazy but so right. i studied james a lot and you know um church history and non-christian sources we have about james talk about how he was the james the just he was a hebrew of hebrews he followed the law so mm. perfectly most likely took a nazarite vow because he grew his hair long and he didn't drink he wanted to distance himself from being like his brother i think because of Sibling rivalry is my my opinion, <laughs> but um, yeah. But that's the same guy who at the Jerusalem Council said, "Listen, yeah. Gentiles only need to follow three things." So James followed the law of Moses, and James observed the feast, and James observed the Sabbath. But he also knew that something new had come, 
and that Jesus brought the new covenant and that for Gentiles, mm, it, it wasn't yeah. the same the same type of thing in regards to the Old Testament law. So nothing wrong with, especially like you say, Messianic Jews, they, they that's their heritage as a people. And it's, right. it's cool and you should celebrate it. Uh, but they don't believe that that's what saves them, right? And that's that's where things get really weird with Torahism. Right. Yeah, the salvation question is a big deal. Uh, and, and, and they say, well, okay, so I'll have to do one more qualification. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. That's my logical mind making all kinds of distinctions. <laughs> but it's important that we know that Torahism as a whole doesn't have a doctrine of beliefs that are published. They don't have a leadership council or any of that. It's a collection of a bunch of different sects and belief groups. And we talked about the Hebrew Roots Movement. Um, there's the Seed of Abraham, the Church of God. There's a number of them that hold to these things. So in early on in the book, I think in one of the first two chapters, I actually put together a simulated creed of these are the things in general. And actually, when I put that together, I ran it by some of my uh, friends that hold to that belief system and said, is this fairly accurate? And nice. yeah, basically that sums it up. So um, <laughs> one of the things that, that many Torahists believe is that salvation comes through obeying the Torah, for, mm. from keeping the Torah. Um, and so what they're doing is they're inheriting some of the salvation concepts of Judaism um, and this idea that, you know, a lot of times they'll argue with you that, you know, Jesus didn't need to die for our sins. There's, you know, they'll bring up verses about how the Old Testament says, you know, no man can die for another man's sins. And they'll bring up the idea of um, in Judaism, you can just confess your sins to God. And if you if you do so sincerely, he'll forgive you. And that's that's that. Hmm. Um, so they get a lot of things conflated between the two concepts. Yet at the same time, they're fully expressing belief in the New Testament as inspired scripture. Okay. So okay. somehow they get this idea that salvation comes from keeping the Torah, which is the opposite of what Paul talks about, opposite mm -hmm. of the New Testament. Um, and they talk about um, the same thing with the divinity, the divinity of Jesus. They talk about there, there's no way he could have been. There's only one God. Yahweh is one, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And yet I look at the New Testament. I go, we have the same New Testament, right? Um, <laughs> so it becomes a little bit difficult to understand. At some point, they're they're doing the uh, what's that? I think it's Francis Schaeffer that said, you know, they have got both feet firmly planted in midair. Yep. Um, yeah. There, there's they're not quite Christian. They're not quite Jewish on those two things. And so in my mind, uh, the natural end of the road for someone that starts falling into this Hebrew roots or this Torahistic approach is they're going to end up as completely rejecting the New Testament and Jesus and becoming Jewish. Mm, yeah. Well, and that's the point that's, Tyler and I were talking about earlier. Yeah. You brought that up. Yeah, that, that's literally right what I, right before we got on the call with you, that's what we were talking about. I said to him, I was like, look, looking at all that there is of this Torahism movement, it seems like the more consistent thing for them to do would just to be Jewish. Like now, of course, I'm like, look, we want them to come to Christ and like be Christians. But I'm like, for consistency's sake with your belief system, I'm like, just be Jewish. Mm -hmm. Like, because then you got this whole mess of all these different ideas that are coming in that are really stirring the pot and creating something entirely different that, that now they're having to defend and come up with new reasons and answers through scripture where it's like, in my opinion, most of what they're getting, I'm like, just be consistent and say you're Jewish. <laughs> yeah. That's what I, that's why I was saying. I'm like, like, look at this. Like, that's right. what it looks like to me. And so I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but that's kind of like the perspective I've been seeing through this whole movement and kind of the arguments they've been making. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right. I, I arrived at the same conclusion, and yeah. I actually asked my friend, the first guy that posted the stuff that I that I kind of write about in the book that inspired this. I said are you a Christian anymore? And he said, no, I'm not a Christian. And I said, are you Jewish? And he said, no, I'm not Jewish. And I said, well, what are you then? What do you call, <laughs> how, how would you self-label your belief yeah. system? He says, I'm just a believer. So I thought that's not a helpful descriptor. No, which, no, no. which is kind of how Torahism came up with because everyone believes in something. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, so the, the bottom line is that, and I think I've seen that a lot, and this is, I think, why a lot of my discussion, so online and some of the feedback I've been getting from the book have leaned into straight up Jewish, uh, you know, interacting with rabbis and things and, and Jewish friends. I got some friends in Israel um, that we're talking about straight up Judaism. Now, to your point, I totally agree that Judaism at least 
has some logical coherency as a belief system. Yeah, right. Now, the argument there is totally different from Torahism. The, yes. the argument, you know, if I'm talking to a Jewish believer, like I constantly say, this is, you, you guys, you, if for, for you to understand the full story of God, you got to read the whole book. Yes. You know, yeah. there's, you're missing, the analogy I like to use is that, you know, the, the, the sixth sense, the movie, the sixth sense, yeah. where <laughs> if you remember that anyway, the big reveal at the end, if you never get to that part, you'll make up your own theories about what the first part of the movie meant. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's Judaism. Torahism is a totally different thing. And the argument there is to say, here's why, and here's what's interesting too. We didn't talk about this, but I find this fascinating. Everybody I've talked to, Hebrew roots, Torahism, whatever you want to call it, used to be a Christian. Mm. So no one stepped from atheism into that. No one has stepped from Judaism into that. I should say no one that I've talked to. Everybody is a Christian who is somehow talked out of their firm Christian belief, and now getting into this idea of, I still feel Christian. I'm still acknowledging Jesus. I'm still reading my Bible and praying to God. So I don't feel like I've been this, you know, heretical person who's, you know, flipped the bird at the church and walked mm -hmm. away. It's not that at all. I yeah. feel like instead I'm enlightened and I'm actually finding the real truth. Yeah. Now I have a question about that. Do you, yeah. and this is, I guess it's just a speculation and opinion, but do you think that a reason for that is because the Christian church has done a terrible job at teaching the Old Testament? So we're back to Andy Stanley. Uh, <laughs> so there is, uh, let me see how I want to say this. Um, I got nothing but love for the church. It's yeah. God's vehicle on this on this planet. Yeah. Um, far from perfect, mm -hmm. and we and God knew that. I, I love this saying I saw one time that it was when God put a call on your life, He already factored your stupidity in. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> I was like, oh, whew, okay, this is probably going to work out then. Yeah. But that's so, that said, I do have some of the, I do have a problem with the Christian. Now I'm talking mostly in the Western world. Mm -hmm. uh, which is obviously where I live and where I see that I see it more closely. But there is there, there's a couple different things going on there. One of them is there's this tinge of progressive Christianity, which is this new ageness that's mm -hmm. starting to creep in. And you see um, people like Richard Rohr, who's like this, you know, kind of mystical priest guy, and he's writing some cool books about that. Suddenly, when you read him, you're like, isn't this? This seems like Hinduism. What is this? You know? <laughs> yeah. So that creeps in and that gets to be kind of a wishy-washy, mm -hmm. uh, fuzzy God is a fuzzy lovey thing. You know what, uh, what, uh, Bonhoeffer called cheap grace, right? You can mm -hmm. just get forgiven and you don't really have to repent or confess. And mm -hmm. so that side of the church, those who are pro professing that I believe are leaving people with a hole that says, wait a second, God is, we have to take God more seriously than this. Mm -hmm. There has to be a way I can honor him and show reverence and all that. And so, the Torah, the Torah is a movement gives you a, a sort of a works-based way of saying, no, I'm keeping the Torah. We're going to, we're going to sit at a Seder dinner and we're going to mm -hmm. celebrate Sabbath and I'm doing important, holy things for God. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's part of it. Um, and the other part is the old Testament. Um, now in my area and in my particular church and at the college I go to, there's a huge influence on old Testament, you know, seeing, see, reading the Bible through middle Eastern eyes and yeah understanding. I'm actually going to Israel in, in March mm. on this big um, uh, teaching, you know, two, two week teaching trip there to see all the different areas, the Old Testament and understand. And we're going through this course right now, which is so amazing to see. So here we're reading about Abraham and the Old Testament and how things, you know, King David and how things progressed through the judges and the exile and all that. And seeing how we're going to actually go to those places where things happened. Wow, that's um, awesome. When you have that foundation, it strengthens your Christian faith in the New Testament. And it makes, yeah. to me, it makes Jesus even more, uh, and I use this in the old-fashioned sense, even more terrible and awe-inspiring mm -hmm. um, from the point of, okay, he's not just, you know, Mr. High-Five, long-haired hippie, I love everybody kind of guy, Yeah, you know. Uh, he is amazingly holy. So so I, I agree with you that I think in the areas where, as, what, what did Andy Stanley call it, unhitched? Yeah, um, yeah. That's a dangerous, I have to, and I like him. I think he's a great teacher, but yeah. that, that I wasn't sure where I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I was really confused about how, where that was coming from. Yeah. He says uh, it in a provocative way, I think. Um, and again, my perspective on old Testament is, is you, you, you can become a Christian by reading through the gospel of John, right? Like you, you can believe in Jesus and his sacrifice and what he did for your sins 
and and the New Testament is really great, obviously. Um, but if you want to see the New Testament in 3D and in color, you have yeah. to know the Old Testament. Like, you mm. can't understand it. You can't understand all the allusions, what the feasts are for. The whole Old Testament, like you said, it's pointing to Jesus. Yes. And so if you don't see, like, again, if you just saw the end of the sixth sense, you wouldn't right. have any idea why it was a big reveal because <laughs> you just saw the end of it, you know? Yeah. So we, we need them both. And um, I don't know. I, I, I think that I've seen Calvary Chapel's, by and large, you know, because they, they do New Testament on Sunday, Old Testament on Wednesday. And I've seen them be really successful at people having a good understanding of the Old Testament. But other than that, it's mm. it's tough to see a church that spends even an equal amount of time in the Old Testament, aside from Sunday school where you're learning about Jonah oh, yeah. or the walls of Jericho, you know. <laughs> but it yeah. is. It's so beautiful when you understand that. And then because the, the New Testament happened in a Jewish context. People sometimes forget that. It's like these people, right. all know, the first Christians were Jews, you know? That's why I've really been loving listening to um, uh, Alistair Begg, Truth mm -hmm. for Life. Mm -hmm. He does such a great exegesis of the Old Testament. Spends t uh, tons of time in that. And I, I found that really, I love that it, because it helps me understand better. Again, the bread and the wine is a good example. You could see the bread and the wine in the New Testament and look at it by itself and go, wow, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. That This means his body, this means his blood. And and you could believe that and find salvation, and that's beautiful. But when, as you dig beneath it and you start seeing the history behind those two sort of symbols, it just, you know, it begins to blow your mind. It's amazing. Yeah, it does. Well, I was just even yesterday I was studying, you know, in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about, you, you know, you're the salt of the earth. And, you know, we always talk about, oh, French fries are better when they're salty. Yeah, okay, that's true. Um, but then, um, you know, that it's also a preservative because they didn't have refrigeration at the time. Yeah, that's that's true. So it keeps things from rotting, and that's what we're supposed to do culturally. It's great. Right. But then, like, if you understand the Old Testament talking about salt, which his audience would have, there's the salt covenant. There's the salt that's an anesthetic that they'd wash babies in salt, right? There's a salt that mm. uh, purifies certain things of the of the sacrificial system and offerings. And so there's right. way, mo way more to what he was saying than French fries taste good with salt. <laughs> and, and if you don't know that context, you, you're missing out on what he's saying. It's not that you can't understand what he means, but you're missing the depth, mm. like you were saying. Yeah, that's so true. That's another great example. And so how cool this to imagine, like get yourself in that frame of mind. And this is, again, I think where the Hebrew Roots Movement, it has some merit to say, I want to I want to hear the words of Jesus the way his hearers mm -hmm. in the first the, the Jewish first century listeners would have heard it. Yes. I want to understand, like you mentioned, the salt or the bread and the wine or, or his references to the to the vineyard, you know, mm -hmm. hearkening back to Isaiah, um, that that level of uh, knowledge is is an amazing thing, but it's just so s scary and insidious how that is pulling people away from. I mean, so we've talked about sort of secondary and tertiary issues, right? Which day do you celebrate Sabbath? But it, ultimately, it's pulling people away from primary issues of salvation. Mm -hmm. Like we talked about, if you feel if you come to the point in your life when you're telling me that to worship Jesus is idolatry because he's just a human man, mm -hmm. or you're telling me that salvation is found by keeping the Torah, mm -hmm. you know, you're well into the heretical world by now. Oh, and yeah. salvation is at stake. And if you're selling that with a lot of conviction and Bible verses to back it up to people that haven't mm -hmm. done their own research, it gets scary. It does. Well, and do you think that that's why, you know, in Galatians, Paul was so against people yeah. <laughs> going back to the law? He's like, no, do, do not do that. Don't get sucked into Judaism again. Christ is better. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like, you know, it, to me, it's like so clear. He couldn't have he couldn't have made it more clear. You know, let's see, Galatians 3.22, Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Mm. And then he says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Mm. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Mm -hmm. Is that not crystal clear? I don't know how I you mean, get around that. Yeah. What do people say to that? What do the tourists say that Paul means? Or do they just kind of throw it out? 
Okay, so this is where we get some divergence among the Torahism belief universe. Some folks are beginning to start to throw Paul out. Mm-hmm. Um, they are wanting to qualify, or in some cases, I've heard some people say that a lot of his uh, epistles shouldn't even be part of the canon. Well, I'd say they'd people. have to say that to be consistent with what they're going for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they're starting to see that, and they'll say, "Well, you know, he was whatever." But what they'll what they'll do is they'll say every single time you see the word law in the English New Testament, it means Torah. Um, and so they start blurring the distinction of some of the things that Paul's talking about. Um, and I'm, and I'm saying, so you're saying when he said the law of sin in my flesh, he meant the Torah of sin in my flesh. I mean, how does that, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, so they, there, there's a lot of, um, just, I I don't know how to other to say it other than irrational positions that they'll take that don't. And here's the thing too. So, because there's a lot of those theologically irrational positions, let's call it that, mm. um, there are no, that I've been able to find, and I'm looking, and if you find some, please let me know, I've not been able to find any scholar or scholarly sources that defend the concept of Hebrew roots, Torah-observant Christians, yeah. Torahism. Um, matter of fact, I, I got a, a, a guy reached out to me from Spain a couple weeks ago who had read the book. Um, and was doing some, and he had written a book too, and he was really dealing with the Hebrew roots movement over there, mm. which is interesting. So in Spain, they've got this whole gypsy population that has their own evangelical churches. Mm. And because they were kind of, a, they're a nomadic people, historically, they really resonate with the Israelites okay. being a nomadic people and wandering around. And he said, some of the priests and I don't know if they're priests or pastors or whatever, some of the leaders in the gypsy evangelical movement in Spain are starting to adopt Hebrew roots movement oh, mm. theology and kind of, and he said three or four have actually left the church. Wow. That's uh, sad. Wow. Yeah. So it's, a, it's, and, and I was talking to him, I said, do you know of any scholarly sources <laughs> for something? And he said, no, I was hoping you could tell me about some. Yeah. So, you know. Well, and see, I think like, and I could be off on this, but like through studying cults or aberrant, you know, religious groups, one of the things that I, I think that Satan does to keep um, to keep people controlled in these groups is he doesn't spell it out, right? He doesn't want it spelled out. He doesn't exactly. want it. Here's the systematic theology of what we believe, because then you would see how inconsistent it is. Yeah. And if he can just keep it amongst people, and it's a belief system that's living and moving and changing. Um, then it's 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 much easier to keep, get people convinced of a lie yeah. when they can't pinpoint. Wait a second, that's irrational. And, yeah, and I think the longer that this is going to be around, the easier it's going to be to pick apart. And that's just how it is yeah. with all of these different uh, her- heretical ideas and cults and different yeah. religions that pop up. Like you see, the longer they've been around, the more their inconsistencies start to reveal themselves. The sad thing is, though, the casualties before that mm-hmm. happens, um, and that's what we don't want to happen, right? Oh, like, yeah. Again, I, I know two people, one lady from our church and then another guy who goes to another church that have got sucked up into this. Um, it just it sounds so appealing, um, right. but it's so anti-Scripture. Mm-hmm. A question I have for you is, okay, so if, if we're saved, you know, the Torahists believe we're saved according to obedience to the Torah and following the law given to Moses— but within the within the within the um, Pentateuch, right within Genesis, uh, Abraham believes God, and it's credited to him as righteousness. So he right. didn't get saved by obeying the law; he was saved by trusting in God. So, so they have to admit, according to their own text, that there's at least two different. Um, uh, systems or two different methods through which people right. have been saved. Like, what do they say to that? And why couldn't God do it again, like we believe, with the new covenant? Yeah, that's so. Here we're getting into uh, speculation land. So I'm gonna I'll share some opinions and thoughts I have about that mm-hmm. through my many conversations over the last year and a half. Um, but I don't know for sure because they don't. Th- there's a there's a evasiveness to the discussion. There there when you present that idea to them they'll trot out a bunch of other scriptures, you know, and they'll even dip into the New Testament and say, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so that was like mm-hmm. a salvation type thing. Um, and then you point out again, it, it, you know, and even they'll t- they'll even accept the New Testament that, yeah, you know, Abraham believed and it was counted as righteousness to him. But they don't, here's where I think it, here's my speculation. I think most of 
the, I think the driving force for most people that I've talked to that are holding to this position or are very tempted by it is emotional rather okay. than logical. And okay. so there's this sense of, if you've read um, Tim, Timothy Keller's book, The Reason for God, yeah. he does a great job in there of unpacking this idea that at some level, you can rationally defend almost any position. And, and some people are content to just stay at that level and they've got strong enough reasons that are that are not enough reasons to solve. Like they wouldn't satisfy a logical requirement, mm-hmm. uh, but they're enough to satisfy their emotional requirement to to believe that it's real enough that I can invest my everything into this. Yeah. I feel like that's where m- most, if not all, of the tourists that I've spoken with are at that level of I just believe it, and you know I'm sold on this whole idea of historical corruption. And you know what it is? It's kind of gnostic because they mm-hmm. feel like they've got this secret knowledge yeah of no this is the real way so you sit there and you're i've had people say this to me you sit there in church on sunday and your pastor is lying to you mm-hmm. he's t- he's teaching you lies and he doesn't know their lies because his his father taught him those lies yeah. and his father didn't know that and because you know they teach him at the seminary and this is their whole kind of conspiracy theory approach which has no there's no evidence for that there's no yeah. logical basis for it but that's enough to fuel i think what they're doing yeah it's almost even spiritual elitism like i've been enlightened i've got the secret knowledge i'm better and you go right. ahead and go go you know follow follow all the yeah. pigs off the cliff but i'm going to be better than you it's like geez why are you so snobby towards me like let's talk about this <laughs> so any you any know, group can yeah, do that and it you is know? weird i have to say yeah. there is there is a there's a what do you want to call it? There's an, I don't know what the word would be, aggravation, or there's a urgency or an anger or something that, that I've, I mean, I've been called so many names and, mm. and fortunately I don't, I don't really take that to heart. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay. They'll call me a bunch of names while they're shouting out some position and I'll respond just with, so what you're saying is this, mm. you know, mm-hmm. because I, I kind of see what they're doing, but, but that emotion that they come with it, uh, it like I mentioned, the first thing I saw you Christians, I can't believe you're wasting, you know, you're worshiping this Christmas tree and, mm. you know, pagan Christmas of this. And, you know, I mean, it was just very um, combative. Yeah. Which is, I think, also a sign to me from what I've little studying I've done about cults. That's a that's an, an indicator is this insular. We've got the truth kind of um, mode operating mode. Yeah. So that's yeah. what makes me feel a little bit cultish, you know? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. man. So let's, let's uh, before, you know, this has been fascinating, first of all. I love talking oh, to you yeah. about this stuff. But let's, let's talk about one more important aspect to this. So why and how do Torahists deny the divinity of Jesus? Mm. Like, how, how do you go about that while you believe he's the Messiah and while you believe in the New Testament? Wow. That's the one I've not been able to solve. There's actually two. There's two things I've not been able to figure out where they come from. Okay. One of them is the divinity of Christ. It's I can't even understand the reason that they would need to reject his divinity, hmm. uh, much less the grounds on which they do it. And I mentioned one of them is that uh, uh, he, he's the he's the um, the door. He's the gate that leads to the Father. No one can come to the Father except through me. And and that, what they'll actually do is bring out a lot of what I've learned over over the last a couple of years is Jewish arguments against the divinity of Jesus, okay. which say, oh, you know, they'll, they'll have these mocking kind of tones and saying, oh, you're saying that that Jesus, you know, hey, God, it's me, you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. Jesus talks to the father, but he's not the father and he's different. So they get hung up or tripped over the, the concept of the Trinity, mm-hmm. you know, the God in one in essence and three in persons kind of thing. And I've got a whole chapter on the Trinity because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another chapter on the divinity of Jesus for that same reason. I, I'm not clear where they where they get to that. My only theory is that it's the beginning, it's the setting up the pylons to eventually lead them into Judaism and the yeah. monotheistic, mm-hmm. um, you know, the oneness of God from a, Jew, from a, Jew, a Jewish perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like Satan's using this to just lead people. I mean, what God intended to point to the Savior, he's right. taking it and re- rewinding it, running yeah, it backwards that's true. to take people away yeah. from the Savior. Which While is they're just like feeling like they're being holy. They, yeah. they feel like they're pursuing God, and yet they're walking away. That's so yeah. diabolical. Yeah, that's awful. And that's a weird thing. So when I wrote the book, you know, and so you think, um, you know, you think, uh, it's just me and some friends. I don't know if I really need to 
write a book about it or, you know, I didn't intend to do that. We were just, I actually had started a couple blog articles and I'm like, okay, this is good enough. But then I started to get people reaching out to me saying, Hey, thanks. Cause a lot of what happened took place on social media, mm -hmm. which is like I've said before, it's the rarest of all literary forms in the world. <laughs> it was a productive Facebook argument. Wow. Um, so, but people started coming to me and actually the, the, the couple who I call Bob and Sue, you know, the, the, the siblings, of Bob came and came to me on the side, you know, Hey, you don't know me, but thank you so much for sticking up. We don't know what happened, wow. you know, and their neighbors are, their kids are playing with our kids. And we, I didn't know how to respond, but I just kind of sensed it was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I thought maybe there's a need for all this research I've been doing. Yeah. Um, decided to put it out. And then the same thing happened now on a larger scale where I get like the guy from Spain reaching out and, and friends of ours from up in Minneapolis. Oh, my, you know, my friend's husband is, kind of being tempted into that area. Mm -hmm. And, you know, is there any good resources that show the danger of it? And yeah. um, so that was a, it's got to be a God thing. you know. Absolutely. Why? Yeah, absolutely is. Well, and it's interesting because like there's all these, like the Hebrew roots movement, like you said, Seed of Abraham, but even like out, outside of this belief system, you know, there's like the black Hebrew Israelites and that just came right. out of nowhere. And you're like, what is this stuff that's just yes. creeping up? But we need apologists. We need theologians stepping up and saying, okay, I'm going to figure out what they're saying. And then I'm going to point out why it goes against scripture. <laughs> and then I'm going to point out how can we, we winsomely talk to them about what's true and show them what scripture says. So right. man, yeah. really just appreciate your book. It was just awesome. And I had people coming to me saying, yeah, my wife's fallen into this. My friend, and like, what do I, what do I refer him to? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I went to seminary. Nobody yeah. talked about this. Like, I don't know. I, I got to dig into it. And I found your book, man. And it's just been, I've, I've referred it to so many people in regards to this issue because oh, yeah. Thank you. yeah well, and no, it's really I, I good. think it's great that you caught on to it when you did. Cause like kind of what we were mentioning too, like this is something that unfortunately it's very likely it's going to just keep growing yeah. and more and more people are going to hop on this and it, it's, you're doing good work hopping on this early and trying to shut it down and bring some truth and mm -hmm. scripture into light. And, uh, I, I think it's awesome the work that you're doing and, uh, yeah. Well, like one this, of the things yeah. I wanted to mention too. So we want our listeners, first of all, we'll put links in the show notes, go, pick up this book Torahism are Christians required to keep the law of Moses one of the things I really appreciated about this because like again I'm like you I'm a super nerd I love to read I love school um, but honestly a lot of the stuff you and I read um, normal human beings that aren't super nerds can't read it right and understand <laughs> it this right. book was uh, accessible and I really appreciated that because anybody can pick this up mm. and totally get what you're saying. And the thoughts were deep and it was profound, but it was readable and understandable. And I really appreciate that yeah, approach yeah. because it, it isn't a it isn't a you know a, a dissertation you're writing to to get your PhD. It's a book that you want to help the body of Christ. So really yeah. appreciated that aspect of it. Oh, great! Thank you. I appreciate that. That was a that was a calculated decision because I I, I did I do tend to lean nerd. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> So I'm working on some other more academic stuff in the same vein for my mm -hmm. capstone for my master's degree. And, yeah, uh, that's great. you know, but I thought this needs to actually be helpful. Yeah. Um, so well, yeah, well, I appreciate you pointing that out. It really is, yeah. man. So if people, if people want to follow you uh, and your ministry, wh what are some links? What are some sites they can go to, to check out more of your stuff? I know you got a YouTube channel, all these types of things. Yeah. I'm just starting up a YouTube channel. So that one's new, but yeah, check it out. It's fun. Um, okay. So I've got, let me, before, before we do that, I got to yeah. tell you guys. So in, in I, my background is in graphic design and marketing and branding and software design. You guys do such a killer job with all your branding. Oh, thanks, Everything, man. Your, your sign behind you, your, you know, all your, all your interstitial stuff looks great. And you know what else too? I, I hope, hopefully you guys are getting a lot of props because I know how much time and effort that you put in to these podcasts. So I just wanted to thank you for that and say, you're doing a great job. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. so much, thank man. You. That's, that's great. Um, that's encouraging. Uh, as for my stuff, rlsolberg.com is my personal website, uh, where I blog. Um, Torahismbook.com is where they can buy the book or find out a little bit more about it. Of course, those are cross-linked and I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And I'm not a huge social media guy right now. I, I try to get it, try to get out there, but I'm so busy with, with school right now and with some writing projects. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that, that's where I live. That's where I exist. Cool. And uh, your YouTube channel is Faith and Doubt. Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's the name of the... Faith and Doubt. Of, okay. Yeah, Faith and Doubt. A lot of, yeah, a lot of what I look at is that what I'm interested in is those areas between faith and doubt. Cool. Um, 
and that's kind of why I'm interested in the whole Hebrew roots movement thing because you you find the you find the foundation of your faith, and I think it helps. Anyway, we don't need to get off on that, but yeah, faith and doubt on, and I think you could also search by R. L. Solberg on okay. on YouTube. Cool. Find me there. Well, definitely go and subscribe to his channel. Go check out his website. Please go buy the book. You will not be disappointed. And and in addition to preparing you to talk with people who have fallen into the Jewish roots, uh, Jewish roots movement or Torahism, it'll also help bolster your faith. Because like Rob said, there's a chapter in here on here's why we believe Christ was divine. Yes. Here's what we mean by Trinity and scripture to back it up. So in addition to equipping you to go and talk with people who have a different worldview, it'll also uh, bolster your faith mm -hmm. and will deepen and strengthen your understanding of Christian theology as well. So highly yes. recommend, right. check him out. Uh, thanks so much for being with us today on Christ Culture and Coffee. This has been awesome, Rob. Thanks so much for being yes, with us, man. You. It's been really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank yeah. you so much for your kind words. Yeah, once Good. you write your next book, we'll have you back on. Yeah, we'll right? That sounds great. <laughs> so, all right. Thank you. Happy to talk shop and, and drink a little coffee. That's all great. Right. man. Thank you. Yeah, all right. And again, thank you guys so much. We'll be uh, back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.